Oh, Father, magnify your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, this intensity that you come to church and then you have an outline for your sermon that you will be preaching ahead. So today, as Ousu was leading us to pray from Acts 2, from 40 to 47, uh, that's what we'll be looking at, God willing, next week. The church was united, the church was magnified, the church multiplied. So next week, if you don't come to church, at least you know what the sermon is about. Um, Ousu has preached that to us. But today we are looking at um, 13 to 39. Acts 2, 13 to 39. So the place, Pentecost, the Holy Spirit has come. People have heard the glories and the wonders of God being declared in their own tongue. And they are astonished. And so we are told, verse 12, some were amazed, others were perplexed. They asked one another, in verse 13, there's also a statement. So the structure of the passage we are looking at, a simple way to understand it, there's a question, there's an answer, there's a question, and there's an answer. So today is a Q&A. So the first question, verses 12 to 13, the answer, Peter's response, 14 to 36. That leads to a second question, verse 37, and that leads to another answer verses 38 to 39. So let's look at the first question. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Amazed and perplexed, and some, when they look at it, they are, the only explanation they could give we know these guys. It's wine. So that's the question. What does this mean? Now we come to the response. And that is what is going to take the bulk of our, that's what's take the bulk of our passage. Peter's first response. Peter says, Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews, and all who live in Jerusalem. Let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. So immediately see that Peter's sermon is an explanation of the event. He's going to explain what the coming of the Holy Spirit signifies. But he begins his explanation by moving the alcohol problem out of the way. He says... These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. Look around. <laughs> Have you seen any um, drinking spot being opened? All the drinking spots, they've not yet opened. Even the woman herself, <laughs> she's asleep, she's not yet opened. This is not a realistic explanation. It can't be alcohol. There is something else. This it's a fulfillment of prophecy. This is the Holy Spirit's work that we see. So in Peter's response, first he quotes from Joel, pointing to what God has said, and then it has been fulfilled. 
what you see now is what God said he would do in the last days. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. I wonder if, if you know where Joel is in your Bible. It's such an obscure book. But in the first sermon, in the ingathering of the people of God, what he said years ago is playing a role. He might appear insignificant, but what he said is crucial to Peter. In the last days, verse 17, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. That is the big idea in quoting from Joel. God said that in the last days, he is going to pour out his Holy Spirit on all people. In the past, usually, God's Spirit came upon very significant people. Maybe Moses, a David, a Saul, so those, the patriarchs and the kings. But he says that in the last days, immediately it gives us an understanding of the kind of days we are in. God says that I will do A in the last days. So if you see A, what does it tell you about what you are living? We are in the last days. People of God, we are in the last days. I will pour out my spirit on all people. What you are seeing and hearing is a fulfillment of what God had said. You see, in Acts, the book can be structured by what Jesus told them. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the outermost part of the world. So we see the gospel just going out. You see how the book of Acts ends with Paul in Rome. The story begins in Jerusalem, but ends in Rome. The gospel is for all people, and it's expanding. But we see that the gospel has an indispensable foundation. That is in the Old Testament. What they are going to see is a fulfillment of what God has said will happen. And so, the first thing, Peter says, listen to the prophet Joel. He spoke about it. And secondly, he does something. From verse 22 following, he says that it is through Jesus that this prophecy has been fulfilled. So his first response, he talks about the Holy Spirit, quoting Joel, and then he says, this fulfillment of prophecy is as a result of what Jesus Christ had done. So let's look at verse 22. He begins again by addressing them, fellow Israelites. Listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. Jesus was a man with accreditation. His accreditation was not a paper usually that you would um, maybe laminate and then you put on your wall that you have been accredited. For him, look at Lazarus. Look at the woman with unclean spirits. Look at that man in the tomb that who, who couldn't be chained. The signs and the things he did was showing that God had put his stamp of approval upon him. This was a man with divine 
accreditation. And now he says this. Whom God accredited, you crucified. With the help of wicked men, you put him to death by nailing him on the cross. But what Peter is also quick to emphasize is this. Listen. Everything that you are seeing now, the Holy Spirit coming and all that happened in the life of Jesus was something that God had planned. Everything had been planned by God and we are seeing its fulfillment. So he says in verse 23, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. Every, you see, as you were rejecting Jesus and were nailing him, you were all the things you were doing, you were free. Nobody was moving you. No, you, were, you acted as free agents. You crucified him. He doesn't even hear mention the devil. You. But he's also quick. He says, listen, listen. What you freely did was a fulfillment and outworking of God's plan. You were free to do what you wanted. But what you wanted was a fulfillment of God's plan. Just imagine the greatness of God. That it was according to God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. So we see that in Peter's response, one of the things he's emphasizing is the theme of fulfillment. All that you are, it is God's plan. You were free. You acted wrongly. You will be judged for it. But listen, God was fulfilling his plan. So you nailed him to the cross, and God also responded. 24, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. You acted, and God also acted. You killed him, and God raised him from the dead. So now we go into the issue of the resurrection. And Peter now calls in another witness. He says, listen. Again, you see the theme of fulfillment. He says, this resurrection, somebody spoke about it long ago. And no other person than David himself. The man that you so esteem, the resurrection of Jesus, if you are going to dispute it, you are going to argue, I want you to first understand this. David himself spoke about the resurrection. He says, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand from verse 25. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. Now, this is David speaking. And he says, God, you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. 
You have made me know, you have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Immediately there's a problem. And that's what Peter draws in verse 29. We know that this David is dead. We can go to Aoudomi Cemetery and I can show you his tomb. In fact, the flyers that we did for his funeral, we have some there. As a big guy, we took coverage of his funeral, his burial. We have the records there. You know and I know David died and he was buried. He never resurrected. So now I put it to you. How do you explain this? He says, 30, but he was a prophet and he knew that God had promised. You see the word again, promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life. You know that you killed him. He died. But David spoke about a certain resurrection. And we can be sure that he was not speaking about himself. We were there at his funeral. He was, because he says he's a prophet. We usually think of David as a king. But Peter says that he was a prophet. God had a plan. And even in the Old Testament, this was also spoken about. That the Messiah will die and then he will come back to life. God has raised this Jesus to life. And now Peter brings another witness. He says, we are all witnesses of it. So concerning the resurrection, you see that he does two things. He talks about the Old Testament prophecy and he talks about their own eyewitness account. We are witnesses to this. In fact, we went to the tomb. We saw the linen cloth there. But the body, nobody has seen it. I'm not just telling you about something others are saying. I was there. I went inside. I examined it. God has raised Jesus to life. So, Peter's response. The first we said, he caused Joel to say, what you see is a fulfillment, the Holy Spirit. And then he brings in David to make the point that it's through Jesus. He talks about Jesus' life and Jesus' resurrection, his death and resurrection. Now, he's going to put this, these two things together, the Holy Spirit and Jesus. And this is what he says. Verse 33, exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Remember the initial question. What they saw about the Holy Spirit having been poured out, people speaking in their own languages. 
and now he's going to answer it. He says, one, the Holy Spirit, what you are seeing, fulfillment of scripture. Secondly, let me tell you about Jesus, and now listen to this. Is this Jesus who received the promise and has made what you are seeing possible? Jesus is the one who has brought about the era of the Holy Spirit. Exalted to the right hand of God, a place of power, a place of authority, a place of dominion, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has hoarded it, stored it, kept it for himself? No. And he has poured out what you now see and hear. Jesus is the one who has brought about this era of the Holy Spirit. So we see what is happening here. There's an event, Pentecost, there's an explanation that gives us revelation. And this is a principle we, we should be applying even in our handling of Scripture. When you see an event, be looking forward to the explanation that will be given. It is in that that we have the revelation. Event plus explanation is revelation. Now, this revelation has an effect on the hearers and leads to their second question. We saw their first question, Peter's response. We are now looking at their second question, verse 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to their hearts and said to Peter, they were cut to their hearts. So, it's to be cut to the heart, the idea of there was some conviction about their need. What he's saying is about me. I need to make a response. I need to have a response. Conviction. This is something we should be desiring that it will be happening more and more amongst us. Conviction. They were cut to their heart, persuaded about their personal need and the need for them to make a response to what Peter had just said. I need to do something. So, brothers, what shall we do? Is the Holy Spirit not so powerful? Look, look at the change. We are told in verse 13, they made fun. But we come to verse 37. Brothers, what shall we do? Brothers, what shall we do? And that leads to Peter's second response. What shall we do? He talks about two conditions and then two promises. Verse 38. Peter replied, Repent and be baptized. Change your mind. Let there be a total change in your thinking about who Jesus is. The one that you are rejected. Change your mind completely about him. And the surprising thing he says, you who are Jews. Remember what we saw. He's talking to fellow Israelites. Fellow Israelites, 22, 29. He says, you 
have to be baptized. In those days, it was the Gentiles who were usually baptized because they were taught off as unclean people. Unclean, you need to be baptized. And these Jews who saw themselves as clean, Peter says, you. Listen, when it comes to the era of Jesus and the Holy Spirit, you are also equally unclean. You need to be baptized. And we see how powerful this will be about showing how indeed they have changed their mind. For the, an Israelite being baptized and publicly saying that, indeed, I believe that God has made Jesus both Lord and Messiah. The Messiah that we have been waiting for years and years and years, it is in Jesus that it has been fulfilled. Jesus is Lord and Messiah. So a public declaration of that inward change of their mind. It would have been a powerful thing there. Repent and be baptized. And there are two promises. For the forgiveness of your sins. Almost like a legal transaction. Your sins will be forgiven you. Remember the charge that Peter has been charging them. He says, you killed Jesus. When you think about it, it's a bit strange because most of the people here, likely they were not in Jerusalem when Jesus was killed some weeks ago. So what does Peter mean that you killed him? It gives a certain understanding that they are also responsible. They were physically not there, but spiritually it was their sins that took Jesus to the cross. And that has application for us all. We are also removed thousands of years from the event. But listen, we have killed Jesus. So your sins will be forgiven and 38b, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's not that an interesting offer. What they were mocking, now that it becomes something they are desiring. And Peter says, yes, there's also room for you. It's a gift. Change your mind about Jesus. And you, your sins will be forgiven and you'll receive the promise. And the way 39 ends, it explains why we are also here. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. For all whom the Lord our God would call. Peter's explanation. Let me reflect a bit on this. There are, as way of application, there are two things. As we are thinking about reaping the harvest, we see Peter, two things, his message and his method. The message, the central thing we see here, he says, listen, Jesus died, Jesus resurrected. He's now exalted. This simple message is what changed mockers 
to be people under conviction. You realize that it's not anything complicated. It's this simple message. That God accredited Jesus, signs and wonders. You killed him. God raised him up. And now he's exalted. And this simple message is what brought the cutting of heart and conviction. Brothers, we need to have confidence in the gospel. Confidence about what the, what the Holy Spirit can do working through the gospel. It's not another message. If you are going to reap the harvest and see souls come into the kingdom, it's nothing complicated. It's not first in us. How forceful we are, how... No, 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 no. It is this message that the Holy Spirit used and people who were mocking were now begging, please, please, what shall we do? Let's have confidence in the gospel. If the Holy Spirit is working through the gospel, the kind of effect it will have in our lives, in the lives of people. Timid, cowardly Peter. He stays with the gospel. And we see what happens. Let's stick with the message of the gospel. Let's have confidence in the gospel. We don't need another message. In the book of Colossians, we see there were some people who had come to tell the church, listen, you, this gospel you have received, no, no, no. If you, if you want to get into the realms, you want to be an authentic Christian, you need something more. In fact, look at the person who preached to you that you became saved, probably Epaphras or one of the, um, the people from, it wasn't Paul himself. You heard the message from this secondary person and you think that this message is powerful enough to make you an authentic Christian, to grow and to develop, to have all that God wants you to have. You need something more. Paul comes in hard on them. People, we need to have confidence in the message of the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation. So as you have opportunity, maybe you see somebody who is really educated, an uncle who is really rich, like he knows a lot of things. Know this, the gospel. If anything is going to cut him down to size, this simple message. Have confidence in the gospel. Secondly, we want to notice Peter's method. You realize what brought about all this explanation? You remember what the question was about? Tongue speaking. Seeing people speak in tongues. But where did it end? Repent and believe. Peter started from where the people were. 
You people, you are drunk. All the things you are saying, that is working in you. And Peter says, I'm telling you in Jesus' name, repent and believe. Was that his first response? I'm telling you, you are saying this because you are a sinner. May the fire of God. No. He began where they were. Alcohol, the Holy Spirit, he began there. But then the road led to Jesus. He answered their burning issue. And progressively, he brought them to the foot of the cross. We have to learn to engage people where they are. You know, usually in our evangelism, we have, maybe you memorize, maybe two verses. So anybody you meet, <laughs> please, I want to share the gospel with you. Uh -huh. And then, maybe the Romans road, you start. Maybe there's place for that. But what, that ha what um, the effect that has is that it sometimes makes our witnessing awkward. I don't know if you realize it. I say it doesn't gel with the conversation. Maybe you're having football discussion with people and then you have to change. So you're having usually a normal conversation and then you have to switch. Okay, hey, I have to witness to him. Or please let me tell you about Jesus. So it makes it some way awkward. Peter had a skill of beginning where the people were. And then he took it to Jesus. We have to ask God for this grace. It means that people, we have to be studious to be able to appreciate where people are. Some of the pertinent issues, maybe some people group, some age group, they are asking what is on their heart. If we just brush aside their questions and we want to go on to what we say, they will listen but do not really connect. We have to learn, we have to be studious, we have to grow. And part of being studious, you see what Peter also does, he quotes scripture. He uses scripture. Of course, you could say that because he's speaking to Jews, that is why scripture is predominant. Yes, but it's also showing us that all that is happening, it says that its indispensable foundation is in scripture. People, we have to grow in our mastery of the word of God. To know the story. So what Peter presents here is a story. In talking about fulfillment, it presupposes a plan, which is a story. He knows the gospel story. So wherever the people are, he's able to begin with them and have that journey. Using scripture. So I want to encourage us. It's not just an issue of just memorizing some verses for salvation, Romans 6.23, Romans, Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, Romans. It's not, it's not just that. Overall, let's grow in our mastery of the word of God because it will come to play. So this year, I believe a lot of us, we are praying and asking God that we want to be more devoted to his word. Please, keep on. All that you are seeing in God's word, it will come to play. You might meet somebody who has this question about some obscure thing in, in Exodus, but it's something that you have studied. And from there, you'll be able to bring them along. 
You see, so please keep on in your devotion to the word of God in your mastery of scripture. This will prove useful in making you a skilled laborer, one who is able to reap the harvest. Keep on. Next week, we'll see the consequence after Peter tells them the two things and the two promises, what happens. The church that is reaped, also they are gathered. And it also have some implication for us. Shall we pray?